Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Dow futures steady after four days up in a row. Longest streak since January. Big day today. Chair Powell on the Hill in front of Senate banking. In about an hour, yields have backed off a touch. Our roadmap begins with awaiting the Fed chair set to testify in front of the committee on the state of the economy in the next hour. Plus, it seems to be Meta's year of, uh, let's call it efficiency. The company reportedly planning another large round of layoffs that could be as soon as this week. And a consumer status check. Dick Sporting's goods smashing same-store sales expectations for the holiday quarter. Let's begin with Jerome Powell headed to Capitol Hill today. In about an hour, the Fed chair set to begin the first of two days of testimony on the economy, appearing before Senate banking. Tomorrow, he'll go before House Financial Services. The watch is on to see what Powell might say about the road ahead for inflation and interest rates. Of course, we'll bring you live coverage, including the Q&A with lawmakers later this morning. Um, some people say maybe, Mike, he wish he had the jobs number in pocket instead of having to talk ahead of it. Yeah, you'd have a lot more clarity in terms of what type of tone. Clearly, the, the streets on alert for Powell explicitly opening the door to a larger half-point uh, hike in a, a couple of weeks. Not sure he wants to be too prescriptive about this. More or less just say, look, we have more to do. The job's not done. Uh, in the last meeting, they said it would be multiple hikes to come. So, in other words, nobody's considering the last one uh, to be the final one. So, uh, it's a delicate one because there is some sign that January was to some small degree at least an outlier in terms of the strength of the labor market. You've seen some softening up the LinkedIn help wanted, all that kinds of stuff. Uh, looks like it's moving in that direction, but maybe not clearly enough. And, and the stock market, you know, yeah, we had uh, another up day yesterday. Counts, but there's an asterisk because it was up like Barely, like seven points, and uh, Apple was up 2% and counted for that and more of it. So um, you did have a little bit of a change of character yesterday where small caps and, you know, cyclicals kind of backed away. Uh, But we are right in the middle of the one-month range. So neutral going into what Powell has to say. Uh, we continue. We're going to talk with our cash in in a few minutes about levels that were tested, yeah. right, and held, and is pushing some of those equity bears to at least explain what happened last week. Right. To give credit, some degree, to the market for um, looking through some of the uh, near-term issues. So a lot of the evidence says, wow, you know, the October low has a lot uh, of credibility built up just because of what's come since then. And last week, yeah, market held where it probably had to to keep the benefit of the doubt for a little while. Um, The fascinating thing is the way we keep dialing forward when the expected rough stuff is going to come. You know, the Journal has this piece. uh, The recession's always six months away. The Godot recession. Yeah. Page one. Exactly. And um, and, and that actually sounds familiar. I mean, in 2018, we kind of over-anticipated a recession. In all of 2019, it was late cycle. When's it coming? This has to happen. The yield curve inverted a while back. So uh, that is why I think a lot of uh, the textbooks would tell you, well, 
you probably are due for something in the next couple of quarters based on when the leading indicators dipped lower. Uh, but, you know, I think you can have a, a bullish case that says, well, what do you think was happening last year when the S&P went down 27 percent at peak profits? We were trying to price in a, a coming recession and probably did a part of that work. I don't know, Mike, you know, but the conversations I have over and over again, and maybe there's maybe the other argument against it is is going to be beneficial for the market. But they are. Inflation's going to be sticker than we think. Yeah. We got too much liquidity in the system still. Um, it's going to be really hard to slow a, an economy that's still going fairly strongly. And the Fed's got to be focused on employment. Uh, and they're not there yet. Right. And we're going to go much higher. I mean, yeah. and, you know, add whoever you want to that conversation, whether it's now Moynihan to a less uh, to some extent and Jamie Dimon. Sure. And we even get above six percent. I and think, therefore, we're going to have a bad second half in the stock market. Yeah, uh, and it's completely plausible, and it's a, but it's a different bear case than we were contending with coming into the end of last year, which was, in, you know, inevitable slide into recession. It was more the ice than the fire, and now you have a high-pressure economy that the Fed's going to really have to bring out more ammo to fight. That's the scenario uh, that you're talking about right there. What is interesting, and Brian Moynihan talking about what their base case is a recession takes hold of third quarter, maybe you have a Everyone sort of says initially a short and shallow uh, recession. But I do think one of the reasons people feel like it might not uh, seem all that terrible uh, is that you've basically, in terms of nominal GDP over the last three years, you're up four and a half trillion in nominal GDP, twice as much in nominal GDP as you were in the three years prior to the last three recessions. So, yeah, that's nominal. That's a lot of that's inflation. <laughs> but that's what businesses look at. And that's where the, the revenue come from. So, you know, again, everyone thinks it's going to be a soft landing for a while before you get a recession. Everyone thinks the recession is going to be mild before it hits. We all know that. But um, so far, the market is just not seeing clear and present danger of, uh, of earnings falling apart as fast as what happened to Russell the, the, yesterday. Yeah, it was just an unwind of the outperformance that we got for a while. I don't know that there was something that, that actually happened, except Apple was, you know, at one point up like 3% on the day, and it just sort of consumes a, more than a share of the oxygen of the market sometimes. And it's yeah. kind of this target. It was just mega cap growth, got buyers. Everything else uh, was, was definitely in profit-taking mode. You point out the market, but uh, Katie Huberty today with a nice chart about uh, their AlphaWise uh, consumer yeah. confidence poll over at Morgan Stanley, uh, 45% see their situation getting better. Most optimistic read since summer of 21. On top of that, Adam Jonas with a note today saying, look, even we didn't realize how strong auto sales would be if you take units times price. Yeah. And it's kind of difficult to explain where that demand's coming from. So the aggregate sales in dollar terms at a record, um, you know, people always remind us um, that autos are the biggest consumer product and biggest manufactured good in the country. So it's hard for terrible things to happen to aggregate GDP when that's working. I think the, the downside of that is um, people are paying more than they want to. They're taking on more debt than they want to to actually afford a car. And, and so we can, you know, you can talk your way around uh, any of these arguments. And I, I continue to say the most bullish people are the ones who just look at the action of the tape and say the pullbacks have been controlled. We've held the support levels. The volume's been better on up than down days. And it seems as if you had some, some, some good breath to start the year that buys the market some time. That's a good way to get into our cash in today. Talk about the Fed and what to watch in today's trading session. Uh, Art, first things first, uh, the most important thing is happy birthday. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.
<laughs> There's going to be ice cubes plenty uh, later on. Uh, to Mike's point about the tape and what it's trying to tell us, uh, what did you make of that test uh, last few days? Well, the, um, I agree, and I think that's a perception that a lot of people picked up. But I do think it was kind of accidental. You know, it, the we were at the 200-day moving average, the 50% retracement level. A lot of key technical indicators were right there. And very conveniently, out of the sky, uh, came Salesforce. And it almost single-handedly turned everything around. So uh, y- you can't argue with the outcome. Uh, a test is a test. But I'm not sure... Uh, that it was tested as fully as I think it might have been. So we'll see that, that Powell's going to speak, and the viewers should watch very carefully his prepared statement. That's the only thing he has total control over. You know, whatever the questions are, he's going to bob and weave and, and try to respond to them. But if he walks in to the Senate this morning and says to himself, what kind of message do I want to send the markets and the public, it will all be in that prepared statement. And by law, tomorrow's prepared statement must be exactly the same to the to the comma and the period. So very carefully look at the prepared statement first, and then we'll see how the market reacts to the Q&A. Yeah, sometimes those, those statements get uh, painted as boilerplate, but uh, how... how- how prescriptive do you think it's going to be, and, and how much will you be looking for things that he maybe didn't say or didn't include? Uh, well, I'm assuming that uh, he can't say too much about uh, rates because he's got to wait for the new data to come in. But I do believe that since they started to decelerate and went to quarter points, they can't go back up to 50. And the reason being, that leads people to say, wait a minute, did you misread things when you decelerated or has something new come up that you you moved away from it? So I think the Fed will try heaven and hell to avoid going to 50. So I think I want to watch what he's going to say about longer. I think, you know, this this higher for longer, I think you'll hear a lot more about longer. Now, I don't think he can give you a specific date, but I want to see if he kind of implies that... uh, uh, we're going on. And, and uh, to Mike's point about the auto sales holding up, take a look, however, at the auto loans. People are now taking out seven-year loans to buy those autos so they can make a tolerable payment. So it, it is not an unvarnished victory here. So I'm going to watch levels. Uh, you got to get up above uh, 40, 85 to get some credibility. Once again, if we get to 4% in the 10 years, that's going to start to put pressure on the market. And uh, if they do move down, and particularly if they move down below um, 4,000 in the S&P, I think people are going to cry that that's a bit of a technical reversal. So a lot of things to watch today. Sure. And our, uh, in terms of that interplay between uh, stocks and bond yields, uh, you've obviously had a lot of sensitivity to these new higher thresholds in yields. Uh, you know, uh, in the fall, we got up to 4.2 or so in the in the 10 year, and that seemed to uh, cause some issues. Now, what's interesting is I've seen some calls that say if you look back to things like the 2000 to 2003 period uh, for the first half of that bear market, 
higher yields were bad for stocks. And then the second half of it, once the Fed had finished tightening and actually had started easing, lower yields were not accepted very well by stocks because of what it meant for the broad economy. I mean, could we look ahead to something like that? Or uh, do we think that the inflationary environment right now means higher yields are, uh, are the challenge? I think it's all, you know, it's, it's relativity we're dealing with. You know, it, it, it's hard to say the last time they were at this specific level, the Dow or the S&P was here, because things change. It's, it's a matter of market tolerance, if you would, Michael. They, they, they change from day to day. For me to tell you that 4% um, is horrible, um, we might adapt to that at some point. And you have to go to 420 to have the same kind of reaction. So there is a kind of relativity in the market. And uh, uh, so I think 4% is makes the market a little nervous. You get back up to 410, then I think it puts pressure on stocks here. Art, I wish you could see the uh, viewer comments about uh, the olives you're going to marinate. We hope you have a great time celebrating today. Wish we could be with uh, you. Yes. We, we, we have uh, man, uh, uh, many ice cubes to marinate before the day is through. But thank everyone. <laughs> Art, thanks so much. Uh, we'll see you soon. Art Cash in today. Uh, when we come back, uh, Meta's year of efficiency. The company said to be planning thousands of additional layoffs as soon as next week. We'll talk about that on this day where we're getting a Senate bipartisan bill to ban TikTok. And then in the next hour, Exxon Mobil's Darren Woods first on CNBC with Brian Sullivan at Sierra Week as futures a little bit muted here ahead of the uh, testimony from the Fed chair coming up in about 45 minutes. Don't go anywhere. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. I want to discuss my management theme for 2023, uh, which is the year of efficiency. 
We closed last year with some difficult layoffs and, and restructuring some teams. And when we did this, I said clearly that this was the beginning of our focus on efficiency and not the end. That was Mark Zuckerberg, you may recall, on Meta's earnings call. That was last month, of course, as he declared 2023 to be the year of efficiency for the company. And he seems to be living up to it. Uh, the latest news is that uh, Meta is reportedly set to announce a fresh round of layoffs. That at least is according to Bloomberg, saying the company may cut thousands of additional jobs as soon as this week. That would be on top, of course, of a 13 percent reduction that was announced back in November. That was, what, 11,000 jobs. You know, you go back to October 24th, Brad Gerstner, frequent guest with Scott on the half, um, sent that had that open letter. Didn't make much of it at the time in some ways because, remember, this is a controlled company. But Zuckerberg seemed to be listening to him and to other uh, shareholders who were calling for significant cuts uh, in headcount uh, and expenses. You know, Gerstner at the time calling for at least what would have been a 20 percent employee-related uh, cut in expenses. They're probably there already. They may actually exceed that at this point. Maybe they're going to go well beyond that. And they seem to be focusing a lot more on AI, specifically within Meta, perhaps, as opposed to simply Metaverse itself. Uh, fascinating to see the change that Zuckerberg has, uh, has sort of taken the company in. The response, of course, in the stock market, Mike, has been quite yeah. significant. Really, since you see those no early November lows yep. and then moving off of there, right with that first announcement of the headcount reduction at that time, but again, they're going to go well beyond what would have been what the ask was from some of the shareholders. Right. Uh, I mean, obviously, shareholders wanted this for a while. Now, you know, the value of your shares going down by two thirds in a very short period of time, even if you control the company, that's still your net worth going down two thirds. Yes. Um, so I think that all that plays into it. But it was somewhat the rare company that had it truly in its own control to say we're going to throttle back a bit on the investment side and we're going to take care of costs. Um, and it has been fascinating because the market has rewarded it. You know, it's actually a higher multiple than, than Alphabet now. And it spent years when it was cheaper than Alphabet. And it's, it's, they're close, but, right. you know, the street's saying, look, we think they have a clear path to have uh, margins sustained or fattened up. And the point at the time, Carl, was even a 20% reduction would only take you back to where they were in yeah. 2021 levels of employee expense. That didn't even get to CapEx, of course, which we know how much they've been spending. Yeah, right. uh, big piece about that. And then a big piece in the journal about Salesforce efficiency and how they're changing the number of people on this, teams. This is what happened to financial services after 06, when they used to pay out 50% <laughs> of revenues to everybody on, on Wall Street. Now it's like 30, 35, right? I do come back to Musk, too, at Twitter, because if anybody's put a playbook out there and say what you want, there are outages <laughs> right. or whatever, they got like seven people running yeah. the entire company. Yeah, it's not surprising when yeah. it goes down. Yeah. Um, remarkable. Uh, when we come back today, live coverage of the Fed chair on Capitol Hill testifying about the economy. Lots of questions from Senate banking about inflation and rates as the uh, at least pre-market's going to hold most of the cards close to the vest with the futures not far from the flat line. Don't go away. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. 
Got some new data today showing a rebound in used car prices. Our Phil LeBeau's got that today. Hey, Phil. Hey, Carl, check this out. This comes from Mannheim, the used car index that uh, every month comes out. This is the latest data, and this chart says it all. In February, Mannheim says used car wholesale prices went up 4.3%. You see that uptick at the end there? That's an indication of where we are. They're back to where they were prices in the middle of last year. Not at the record high at the beginning of last year, but headed in that direction. Third straight month of higher used car auto prices. Here's the deal. The tight supply of three-year-old models is pushing up prices. We've had three, four years now where the auto industry has constricted how many vehicles they're making. Well, that means you don't have the usual supply of three-year-old vehicles going into these used car auctions. And as a result, you saw prices move up from January to February. The used car supply, by the way, the, the number of vehicles for sale, it actually dropped in the month of February, according to Mannheim. So as you take a look at CarMax, Lithia, Sonic, all of these guys are noticing this increase. And I've talked with dealers who have said, oh, we're back buying because we know that the spring sales season is coming and we want to be prepared. GM, Ford, Stellantis, the reason we're showing you this, they have increased the amount of vehicles that they are manufacturing, but the inventory is still 40-day supply, according to J.D. Powers. That is well below what is a regular market, Carl. The regular market, 60 to 70-day supply. So what we're seeing here is what many... We're hoping they wouldn't see, and that's an increase in used vehicle prices. Clearly, inflation is still with us. Yeah, Phil, I've seen you know, some estimates that there's something like 5 million, cumulatively, 5 million uh, kind of vehicles that represent a shortage under, under production from 2020. So yes. obviously a long time to catch up. What does that mean in terms of new car pricing and people's ability to, to spend and how you have to be creative to get people into cars? Well, I don't know if they have to be as creative. Look, people, and you heard Art Cashin talk about it, people are willing to take out the seven-year loan. And we're even hearing about eight- and nine-year loans. Not a lot, but that is happening as well. People want to get the lowest monthly uh, payment that is possible. And, Mike, to your point regarding the supply of used vehicles, look at the vehicles that were basically cut within the last four years. A lot of sedans, a lot of smaller vehicles, moderately priced vehicles. What's in the used car market primarily? Not that there aren't more expensive vehicles in there as well. It's that that's the heart of the market. So if you were going out to say, I don't know, if you wanted a, a Camry or a Corolla, you can still find them, but the automakers have just restricted that market so much, and that's pushing those prices up. One other note, guys, uh, going to switch gears here a little bit from autos to airlines. We just received a note that Merrick Garland, the attorney general, along with the head of the DOJ antitrust division, will be holding an antitrust announcement at 1130. Gee, I wonder what they could be announcing. I think we all know what they're going to be announcing. Uh, no official confirmation yet, but we expect the DOJ to file a lawsuit to block this Spirit and JetBlue merger. Guys, back to you. Yeah, well, Phil, I mean, we, we always, you expected it. We all expected that. No real surprise. The question, yeah. I guess, is what are the companies going to say? Do we have any sense as to what they're what they're? Uh, we know their argument. Their argument, yeah. David, and I have talked with Robin Hayes. I've talked to Ted Christie. I've talked to a, a number of executives at both airlines. They all say the same thing, which is we will bring down prices by combining. The efficiency that we're going to be driving into the system is good for the marketplace. The counter argument, which we knew that the DOJ was going to make, is, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to strip out seats, and those spirit prices that are here are going to end up being 
JetBlue prices up here, and that's not good for the consumer. That's going to be the argument from the DOJ. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about uh, creating the fifth largest carrier in the U.S., uh, we'll see what uh, Garland says. Right. Phil, thank you. Uh, big news on both of your beats today. You Opening bell coming up in about four minutes. Don't go anywhere. Watching uh, some consumer names today, uh, Dick Sporting Goods comes in with pretty good comps, up 5-3, uh, more than doubles the dividend, a double beat. Actually, a number of uh, touchstones on the consumer today. Uh, Morgan Stanley says Walmart Plus membership near an all-time high. Yeah. Goldman says Amazon's now a solidly a top pick. You've yeah. got a, an upgrade of Costco at North Coast. Yeah. On the other hand, I did notice that Key did a big roundup of uh, kind of broadline and, and hardline retailers and saying, Yes, things look fine, but we're still expecting the fall away. So, again, it's that same story where, you know, consumer confidence is in the middle. Wage is still strong. We don't know if the willingness to spend is there. Dix looks like it opened at a 52-week high today uh, and almost a double from the mid-year lows. People thought it was just a pandemic move, and they have a huge give back, and they've uh, really earning uh, momentum from strong. Yeah, I think uh, CEO is going to be on the squawk next week. Yeah. Opening bell and the CNBC Real-Time Exchange and the big board today. It is power management company Eaton celebrating its 100th listing anniversary. We'll talk to the company's CEO in a few moments. And then at the NASDAQ, the Atlantic 10 Conference as men's basketball championship tips off today in Brooklyn. We are in March, Mike. Yeah, exactly. So uh, maybe every day we'll get a new, <laughs> yeah, exactly. a new conference. Um, you know, you mentioned the Amazon call, which I think is interesting, and it really points out just how this been this, you know, fang the fang complex has gone its own way. Amazon has been consistently a mess, and the worst of all of them from point to point over the last two years. Uh, there was a lot of talk, and it was Goldman this week saying, really, what big picture is wrong with this stock? Um, and, and it kind of is that they have mega scale in a not great business, which is, you know, the e-commerce side, the street's not giving them credit. They've never earned. When are they ever going to earn? And then, of course, on AWS, uh, you know, what's, what, what was the act that was going to follow the, the ramp up there? And obviously, those multiples have come down. But so Amazon's been on the downswing. Apple's chopped sideways for two years. Netflix and Meta had these huge dumps where they lost more than half their value and now have doubled off the lows. You know, and Google's just been a grind lower. So I think it gets to that point of it's no longer this kind of monolithic, you know, just category, the style of stocks that we either own or don't own. It's very, very uh, company specific and the valuations are pretty unique to each in terms of what matters. Yeah, you can throw Netflix in there, too, as they yes. uh, are getting some commentary this week about the impact of uh, password sharing. David, of course, the Paramount News yesterday about potentially being in talks to sell a majority stake in uh, BET. Yeah, BET. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a possibility. You know, there had been some talks some time back before they merged Showtime into Paramount Plus that they might want to try and sell that. That was never clear to me exactly how they were going to or why there would be a buyer, but maybe there was. It doesn't matter. That deal didn't happen. Maybe a BET does. But this really goes to the lack of free cash flow right now at Paramount. Fairly significant amount. You know, they pay a dividend. And so they're in a difficult position here in terms of maintaining the dividend while really running what will be, you know, not particularly positive cash flow for some period of time. They've obviously talked about getting back to break even at the very least on their direct-to-consumer by next year. And to be fair, they did have the best numbers uh, from any of these businesses for last quarter in terms of at least subs. Always a question of quality of subs. They have that Walmart deal. What are they really getting paid for that? But 
you know, the numbers are numbers, and so they do have a lot more subscribers than they did have. But yeah, Carl, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that, you know, the efforts to potentially sell some assets. And of course, the bigger question that looms is, does it still have enough scale? Right. And will it ever have enough scale? Um, and that continues to be a key question. You know, all true. Uh, on the other hand, it's such a relatively modest market cap right now of $14 billion that any asset sales all of a sudden look material. Yeah. Um, remember, they, they were thwarted in terms of selling the publisher for over $2 billion. They still want to sell it again. Yep. Um, that's an Black, asset. BlackRock headquarters, I think, is yeah, still... Yeah, what are you going to get for BET? I mean, you know, it's yeah. going to be a material number, even though it's not a huge true asset in the industry scheme of things. Uh, of course, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of debt, so it's not just the market cap. I no, mean, the, the enterprise like value is what you got to look at. 29 to $30 billion. And you need yeah. to look at it with Warner Brothers Discovery as well, because yeah. we talk about that a lot when we talk about Paramount. You can look and say, oh, only a $37 billion market value. Right. You know, you got $50 billion in debt. Don't correct me if I'm wrong. So enterprise value, obviously, is the important, uh, is the important metric here, uh, not just market cap. Yeah, it's closer to $85 or $90 billion, uh, enterprise yeah. value for Warner Brothers. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, meantime, airlines, we mentioned uh, uh, Phil Lebeau telling us about the Garland presser later on. But United and Delta are going to help lead the S&P today. We got an upgrade of both. Uh, UAL up to BNP Paribas. Evercore ups Delta to buy. Um, they're looking at unit revenue, yeah. and then pretty muted Q1 activity, at least price action in gasoline or jet fuel. Sure. Uh, and we just talked about the, how the consumer appears to be uh, holding on to things they want to spend on. Travel's one of them. Yeah, and the stocks have come in, uh, you know, a fair bit. I mean, I think that's a big part of the Evercore uh, Delta call, which is that it has lagged, you know, UAL and American you know, this last little stretch of time. Uh, yep, they all look cheap, and it's another one of those stories of, you know, you don't buy cyclical stocks on really low PEs, except that the E's are, are, are continuing. So bookings don't really give you a sense that that's softening up too fast. Also, the, the idea that one of your uh, low-cost challengers trying to get bigger might face challenges of, of having, making that happen. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. seem as if that's an imminent, uh, you know, threat in terms of overall pricing structure at this point, for sure. Um, we've been talking a, a lot about how much cash EV companies consume, and that gets me to Rivian this morning. Stock's down almost 8% on news that they did sell. It was priced last night, I believe, this convertible, $1.3 billion. They also had an ability to go up another $200 million. Want to get, don't have terms uh, at this point, but of course the potential dilution from this convert is impacting. Uh, but they need the money. You know, you got to raise the money to make the automobiles when you're deeply cash flow negative, as of course they are, Lucid is, as these automakers ramp up. Rivian already had been hit by um, coming in below what had been at least hoped for delivery targets as well yeah. this last quarter. There's no doubt. I mean, they, they need the money over time for sure. Um, I mean, I think they still do have a pretty solid net cash position. From when they went public. Exactly. Guess, right? And so it's been sitting there. These are kind of green bonds. You know, you can kind of uh, have this special class of, uh, of, you know, renewable energy related financings. Also, a super volatile stock like that, issuing a convert is, is actually pretty attractive. A convertible has an embedded option in it. The value of that option is high. You can monetize that. Right. I mean, Rivian has a, you know, it's twice as volatile as the overall market. So it's sort of a weird kind of corporate finance lane that makes sense for them to travel down, even though the common holders feel like, you know, getting it's not the greatest. Yeah. So, plus, you have an arbitrage that gets created when you but issue the convert. to your point, there's a decent amount of assets, at least, in these convert strategies that are... Yeah, just, be just in terms of the, the bond math works for them, yeah. Um, but the stock math not working today for Rivian. Yeah. 
Um, what's the what's the all time low there? I don't know, but it's can't be too far from it. Fifteen. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just about there. Uh, yeah. Fifty-two week lows, fifteen, and it's right around there. So. Uh, interesting um, reports today about gasoline demand uh, in Barrons, I think, actually, Mike, and the, and the notion that gas demand has essentially peaked. Yes. Uh, J.P. Morgan takes a look at, all right, well, why? Uh, they argue that 45% has been price over time. Uh, 34% is work from home. Yeah. Just the need to commute has been dramatically altered. And then 19% is the shift to EVs. Yeah. On a week where we're going to talk to Exxon in a moment. I mean, will we ever get back to that? Total miles driven has not budged in many quarters. I was looking at that. Once you had people come back a little bit back to work, um, it's pretty stable. Um, and then, yeah, over time, no matter what happens, the fleet gets more efficient. You know, the aggregate uh, you know, mileage of the country is better. So it's a good news thing. Um, you know, and everyone's saying, what, when are they going to build new refineries? I mean, who knows if that seems like a good risk reward longer term in terms of uh, spend, even though you know, eight months ago, seemed like we really needed <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, right? So who knows? Yeah. Um, guys, Senator Mark Warner was a guest on uh, Squawk Box this morning. Of course, he's, uh, it's a bipartisan effort. He's uh, uh, one part of uh, an attempt here to uh, pass a bill that conceivably would ban TikTok uh, in the United States under national security grounds. This is not a new debate. It has been ongoing for a very long period of time take you back to the end of the Trump administration where it appeared that perhaps something similar was about to occur. And remember ByteDance, the owner of TikTok, was trying to figure out various ways to make sure that the app would still be available here in the U.S. Take a listen to what Warner had to say, and then we'll uh, take a look at shares of Snap and Meta afterwards. What brought us to this is not just TikTok. I mean, we've had this whack-a-mole approach on foreign-based technology for years. A few years back, it was Kaspersky, the Russian software company. Then it was the Chinese telecom maker Huawei. Now it's the Chinese uh, mobile app TikTok. What we're saying is from six nations, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, and Cuba, if it is a, a foreign-based technology that poses a national security risk, we're going to give the Secretary of Commerce the ability to do a series of mitigation up to and including banning. Take a look at shares of Snap. I mean, they were up sharply yesterday and adding to that gain again this morning, uh, some almost 7%. You can see it right there. And the move that that stock has had in a very short period of time is, well, it's 22%, as you see, over uh, just the last week, in part because, of course, it would be seen as a significant beneficiary for TikTok to suddenly disappear from the phones of millions and millions of users here uh, in the U.S. Meta shares are also up, perhaps in part, on the continued adherence to efficiency. Remember, it is the year of efficiency uh, and these reports of job cuts that we discussed earlier. But as well, Mike, it may also yeah. be up in part because this is a bipartisan effort and yeah. can't be ignored. For sure. It is an interesting calculus to try to figure is, is there just an aggregate amount of short form video that's going to exist in the world that we're going to consume in North America? And if TikTok's not available and you have to take it off your phone, it's just going to migrate to Snap. Obviously, the advertisers want, you know, some conduit to those same types of users. So it does make sense. Uh, we'll say Snap is the kind of stock that uh, it goes on these wild runs. Uh, at times, it's been heavily shorted. It's still, even after uh, kind of popping 70% off the lows, is down 70% from the high. So, yes, uh, there's a hot, lot of option value embedded in there just in case they get any incremental spill of revenue. But it's, it, to me, it's a little more um, 
reactive and emotional than it is a, a real determination of how much of that TikTok revenue is going to flow elsewhere, even if we get to the point of banning. Meanwhile, I haven't gotten an updated valuation on ByteDance, of course, TikTok's owner based in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in China, uh, but has U.S. ownership, Code 2, big hedge fund, General Atlantic, the big private equity firm, um, board seats as well for both of those. It would be a real blow if they can't oh, yeah. figure out a way to maintain TikTok here in some fashion. Obviously, they have this Project Texas where they've talked about moving all the servers to Oracle in Austin, Texas. Um, we've been following it for some time, Carl, but it's not clear where we stand at this point. Again, we'll keep a close eye on Warner's efforts. I was going to take a look at, uh, at Bank of America, thinking it might be up today, with Mike Mayo kind of reiterating um, you know, why he likes it, why it's the low-cost consumer bank, why deposits are sticky with the largest banks, and uh, it's down 1.2%. The, the financials have actually had a little bit of a struggle here. Um, you know, it's, it's no longer really much of a, of a rate story. It is really about uh, kind of, have we seen the best for credit? Low, you know, low unemployment's great, but it can only go one direction. Uh, and, you know, and all the rest of it. And, uh, you know, capital markets are horrible, too. Terrible. Um, you got good bond issuance and everything else. Everything is, else is, is horrible. Dead. And yeah. when you talk to, I mean, yeah, the likes of some who, again, anybody in this, as I try to, uh, it, it's just dead. Yeah. Um, it continues to be dead. And it's not an unimportant contributor to the earnings for some of these big banks. Yeah, for sure. Meantime, uh, we're watching the jobs number, of course, on Friday. Uh, LinkedIn with some interesting statistics about the hiring rate. They argue it's down 6.5 uh, month-on-month, uh, seasonally yep. adjusted. It's the biggest one-month decline uh, since 2020. Hiring, they argue, is now down 31% from April of 22 when the declines began and down about 28% year-on-year. Obviously, we're leaning heavily on some of this high-frequency information. Dara Kazwashahi had some interesting thoughts about how many millions of U.S. workers might actually be self-employed more than we think. Take a listen. The labor environment, even though it's not showing up mm-hmm. in the unemployment rate, the labor environment feels looser for us. Uh, about 70% of drivers are saying that they're coming onto the platform because of some of the inflationary effects that they're feeling. They need to make augment their earnings, mm-hmm. uh, and we're a very good platform for earnings, earnings augmentation. That said, uh, consensus for Friday is still 230, and I've seen yeah. a couple 300s. Uh, Joe Brusuelas, for example, uh, is looking for 300 and says that would take you to discussion about a 6% terminal. Yeah, I would think so, um, especially if you don't get big downward revisions to January. Um, the, the help wanted stuff, the zip recruiter stuff, the LinkedIn stuff does give you a little glimmer that says maybe January was a little bit overheated. You had some one-off stuff happening, not just weather, uh, things like heavy spend from you know the, the, the Social Security income adjustments, inflation look hotter because of annual resets of certain prices. So who knows? We'll see if we're in for a little bit of a give back in general in terms of labor market strength and inflation for February. Uh, Meantime, just about 15 minutes away from the uh, comments from the Fed chair and, of course, Q&A to follow after that. In the uh, interim here, bonds are, our yields are lower across the board, although not quite back to session lows yesterday when the 10-year got about to 391. We'll take a break. Be back in a minute. A lot of anticipation about this particular hearing, given the conflicting signals we've gotten about the economy in recent weeks, and even given some of the data that we're not going to get until later in the week. But we will hear from the Fed chair beginning in about 13 minutes at Senate Banking. We'll bring that to you live, including the Q&A. 
Don't go anywhere. Power management company Eaton celebrating its 100-year anniversary, that of being listed here at the NYSE. We're going to talk energy rates and much more ahead of Fed Powell uh, testifying for Senate banking on Capitol Hill. And to do that, exclusively here on set at Post 9 is Eaton's chairman and CEO, Craig Arnold. Congrats. 100 years is impressive. Big deal. Thank you. It's uh, certainly a momentous occasion for our company to be around for 100 years, to be one of only 32 companies listed that long. And certainly it's a an important milestone for our company, and it's a pleasure to be here today and celebrated here on the New York Stock Exchange. I did wonder how many. Thank you for the answer, 32. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get to the current age here. You've got an Infrastructure Act. You have an Inflation Reduction Act. You would seem to be poised to benefit from both, particularly, as you said on your recent earnings call, $88 billion that's set aside for power grid updates and EV charging networks and incentives. How big an opportunity is that for your company, and over what time period do you see that playing out? Yeah, I mean, the, the great thing about our company is we really are positioned to take advantage of what I would say are some of the most significant secular growth trends that I think we'll see in our lifetime. Energy transition, digitalization of the economy, electrification, all big secular trends that will benefit the company. And to your point, a lot of government stimulus spending on top of that that will further accelerate our growth. And so we haven't yet seen the real impact of the stimulus spending. We think it's still to come. But we think it'll play out probably over the next, you know, three to five years or so. Three to five years is yeah. what you see. You know, and you talk about electrifying the economy as well, um, which obviously we all know about. But digitization also, explain here, because again, something you discussed during your recent conference call, exactly why Eaton's well positioned and how that works. Yeah, great. Let's think about it. You know, the world today continues to generate, process, and store increasing amounts of information. We're all more connected than ever. One of the big growth segments for Eaton is a data center market. So it's one of our biggest end markets, and we serve the data center market. In addition to that, everything that we make today is becoming more intelligent. All the legacy devices that we've made, they're all today, they all have microprocessors. They're all now connected and they're streaming data. That gives us the ability to sell higher value add in the components that we sell. At the same time, we have an opportunity to monetize the information and the insights that's coming off of these devices. And so through either selling data as a service or selling software. You sell data as a service right now? Absolutely. We're in the early stages, but a really exciting opportunity for us to really think about how do you create insights from the information that's coming off of the millions of devices that we actually have out in the marketplace. How sensitive uh, are your end markets right now to exactly the cadence of the economy at this point? What are you seeing and hearing uh, back from customers? You know, our end markets, I would say, are quite strong right now. And despite all the discussion about a potentially uh, some sort of a recession this year, we think some 85% of our end markets see quite significant growth this year. You know, I think if, if you think about the trends that are going on, in addition to these secular growth trends, there is this big reindustrialization that's taking place today inside of the U.S. And we are a big benefactor of that. Every time you think about a new semiconductor plant, a new EV plant, a new battery plant, the numbers are just staggering today in terms of the amount of investment that's going into U.S. manufacturing, into U.S. market in general. And that's a real big benefit for us. Do you worry about the grid? How do you answer concerns about the long-term load on the grid? Even those at the household level who are thinking, well, should I get an EV? Can I count on my charger in five or 10 years? Yeah, I'd say we are helping utilities solve some of the big challenges today with respect to the aging grid that we have. And there does need to be quite a significant amount of investment that goes into modernizing the grid, building more resiliency in the grid, 
Uh, the great thing for Eaton is we provide all of the components, the hardware, the software, the services that the utilities need to upgrade the grid to get ready for what's coming at them. And it is significant if you think about electrifying the economy, not just cars, but you know, more electric cooking and more electric water heaters. Everything in every aspect of the economy is becoming electrified, and that's going to continue to create challenges for the grid, and we are there to provide answers and solutions for our customers. But do, do you see us as being behind the eight ball? Are, no, are approaching anything near crisis down the road? No, I, I don't think we are approaching a crisis. I think there is work that needs to be done. I think there are investments that are being made today uh, by the utilities. There are you know, investments that are being made today by various actors in this value chain. But I do think it is, we have to approach it with a sense of urgency. Uh, back to the economy, just because you do have an interesting sort of perspective on it. You did say on the call that you were feeling a little bit better about 23 than you had been even as much as a, a little as a month ago. Why? Hey, if you think about, you know, today, the end markets that we serve, and, and, and one of the things that we pay attention to is uh, the, let's call it the non-residential construction contracts. So macro data in terms of how much investment is going into infrastructure in, in the country. And those numbers were quite large at the end of the year, up some 50% for the year. And so we continue to see very strong demand in our orders. We see very strong demand uh, in our negotiation pipeline that precedes order. And so our markets continue to be quite strong despite what you're seeing today in some of the macro data more around consumer products. And that picked up a bit to encourage you Absolutely. a bit more? Absolutely. It was, it, we ended the year on a much stronger note than we anticipated. And we were already anticipating a good year for 2023. All right. Well, a good year and your 100th to be listed here at the NYSE. Appreciate your taking time. Yep. Thank you. Pleasure. Great to be here with you today. When we come back today, the Fed chair, uh, testimony on the economy, followed by Q&A. There's a look at Senate banking this morning. We'll get that to you on the other side of this break. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.